Hello, welcome to the next episode of the Challenge the Podcast. Uh, we have a lot of exciting stuff for you today. Um, first of all, there's obviously going to be a long, long Cagliari talk since I was there. Uh, but we have to start with some other things as well. Um, Jakub, how do you like the, the sort of new revamp of the Challenger Tour, which they sort of announced as maybe more than it actually was? But well, what's your what's your take on the logo, the branding, the uh, scoreboard? Look, I mean, like we, we have had the same scoreboard on the Challenger Tour since the very like like since I started watching. I assume it's been the same <laughs> throughout. And uh, obviously, the ATP have has like a, like you know updated the branding on on, on everything else on, on their logo. So I felt like it was not overdue, but I, I wasn't surprised when I saw it. I was sort of expecting it. They picked the the perfect week for it, I think, to have the week with two Challenger One Seventy Fives, which yielded some some amazing stuff that we're going to talk about later on. Uh, to pick that week to to rebrand, um, that, that I think that was a great choice. Uh, but yeah, I I, I, quite, I quite like that logo, that that new sort of more modern look to it. What do you think about it? Um, the logo kind of looks like GT, not CT, frankly. Like I, I've had a couple of people text me, what's GT? Literally. And oh, wow, I okay. had to tell them it's CT. So that's that's pretty weird. Um, I mean, I, I saw that it looks like GT, but I didn't think that someone would actually, you know, um, have trouble figuring it out. It kind of looks like a leftover design from Ford. I, I checked how the Ford GT uh, logo looks, and it's really similar, actually. Um, but yeah, I, I agree that this was the perfect date for this. Um, was this sort of like the, the big issue with challengers, you know, something that needed no. to be fixed? Now, does the scoreboard look cleaner? Definitely. Um, I like that. I think that, you know, that the next step is improving the quality of the streaming for sure. Like today, uh, they posted, for example, videos from Aix-en-Provence from the final, uh, which seemed like from the stream and it was insane quality, right? Like, I don't know, 1080p probably. And uh, still, when you enter the site, uh, you still have that you know, blurry thing, which I think really holds back uh, the challenger to quite a lot. Uh, I think there are a lot of people who um, watch it r- even more rarely than they would because of the the quality. So that's probably like the the big thing that I would like to see changed. It didn't, uh, but but yeah, like neater um, neater scoreboards, just not looking like it's 2005. That's definitely good. And um, I, I even mentioned this last time, but uh, I figured that maybe there was something more coming or something. But no, mm. apparently this was this was just the whole thing. <laughs> Um, and we also have to mention a couple of players who did well in Madrid. The, so the first edition of Madrid that went two weeks. Uh, I think from a Challenger fan perspective, it was extremely exciting, right? Absolutely. I mean, you you it was Challenger week on the ATP tour this week. It was, it was unbelievable. I mean, let's go sort of in in reverse order. We had Jishin Zhang reach the quarterfinals, uh, losing to Karatsev, who we'll also talk about, but Zhang pulling off three straight third set tiebreak wins over Shapovalov, Nori, and Fritz. Of course, these are very specific conditions of, of this sort of faster play, but still, that is that is incredible. And I did not see that coming from him at all. Uh, so that, that was great to see. Of course, then we had Karatsev re, re-emerging once again, coming through the qualities where he, of course, beat Struf. That was the great story when they meet in the sem- when they met in the semifinals. Struf got his revenge. But Karatsev also pulling off great wins. Deminor, Medvedev, uh, like just great stuff. And then Jan Lodaj Struf coming through, uh, well, not coming through qualifying, coming in as a lucky loser after a straight set win to, to Karatsev, then beating Sonego, Shelton, 
Lajovic, Kachin, Tsitsipas, Karatsev, all of these are three set matches that he's battling through. Um, he's got the final against Alcaraz. I'm not sure if he's going to make that particularly close with, with the gap that they have in time on court. And, you know, in, in general, they're, they're like Al- Al- Alcaraz is a, is a next level player compared, compared to some of the like Um But still, what an amazing week that we got to see from these guys in, in Madrid. Yeah, uh, at the time of recording, you know, you, you guys probably already know the, the scoreline of Alcaraz Struf. Maybe you watched it at the time of recording, Alcaraz is a setup. But yeah, as you said, I mean, I, I really enjoyed this. Um, some very cool storylines from our perspective and also just, uh, you know, maybe people seeing that lower ranked players can also produce some amazing tennis. Because as you said, um, the conditions were very unique. But at the same time, some of the matches that they played were just insane. And of course, Karatsev, we know, have, has this peak level. We were actually thinking that most of the year we're going to be watching Aslan Karatsev in challengers right but he only played yeah. in Sanremo I think where he lost to Kopejans and now it looks like he's not going to play in challengers for like another year or something so um well I'm not going to watch that much Aslan Karatsev on the challenger tour but of course that really helps him survive um at the top level uh Struf we're not going to be watching and of course what a story as a lucky loser the biggest match of his career um today against Alcaraz um you know on, on Sunday and when we're recording this and also um just the fact that he still doesn't have an ATP tour title right and gets this sort of a chance we'll see if he gets it and uh Zhang I think especially uh, with this sort of year that he's had right just a terrible 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 campaign so far and then he does this even th- actually we might still see him on the challenger tour very soon because if if this is if this isn't like a um an improvement that's going to last he might be in trouble right because in, during the summer he's going to defend all these clay points and even with this quarterfinal in madrid he is just barely in the top 100 of the atp race so uh you know for him it's still not set that he's not going to be playing challengers very soon but um, I guess this is just all we've been saying for, um, I don't know, probably since last summer when he had that amazing peak on clay. Uh, that's, well, just on purely on t- in terms of like ball striking, he is not worse than these guys like Shapovalov, Nori, Fritz. He, he just isn't, you know, he has his issues for sure. Uh, mentally, uh, just in terms of like experience, rally tolerance, shot selection, etc. He He definitely doesn't belong with them in these regards. But yeah, just just in terms of how beautiful his te- technique is, how how he strikes the ball, he definitely is um, just as good as them. And and, and yeah, it's so good to see him show that, especially with the year that he's had. So maybe now he finds the confidence to, um, yeah, to do even better in the in the next couple of months. Um, that would of oh, course confidence be really ideal. confidence really 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 is the key with with Zhang because I mean yeah. when you look at some of these results that he had earlier in the year. Losses to to Lazaro in Dubai qualifying, losses to Trunheiti and Montpellier qualifying, Muller. And, and these were all from a setup, right? Like he was constantly yeah. losing from like a set and a break. Yeah, yeah. Well, Lazaro was was straight sets, but yeah, those uh, Trunheiti and, and Muller. There were like three consecutive losses, Collage in Koblenz as well, like yeah. where he was a setup and, and even like you know just con- controlling the match completely, and then it fell apart. Yeah. Yeah, so I was expecting him to fall off quite quite severely. So for him to come in and and do this, also maybe gain some fans. Like I I, I think that he'll oh, be yeah. a popular player when it comes to you know, uh, all, all, like like him as a as a package with the game and everything. He he should be popular. It's he's definitely fun to watch. So for him to come and show this level after really really sucking this this first third of of the year, to be frank, 
it's it's a great sign for him going forward. So I I, I think that now he, he he will sort of have the you know I, I don't I don't know if if he'll uh, manage to to defend everything or or even uh, keep himself in the top one hundred uh, the entire time. But I think that uh, I have a lot more be- belief in him now to to try and do that um, than I did coming into this week. Yeah, and I guess with that we might move to the to challengers, right? Uh, two European one seventy fives this week, which was of course a historic moment since um, the only previous one was in Phoenix in March. Yeah, and we start in Cagliari, where you were and I was meant to be. Couldn't couldn't make it there as I was ill on the day of my travel and and just could not could not get there. Uh, but we had Ugo Umber win the title over Laszlo Jere, 4-6-7-5-6-4, his eighth challenger title. On his run, he beat Gianluca Maguer, 6-4-6-3, got a third set retirement from Pellegrino, beat Taro Daniel in a four-hour classic, 6-7-7-6-6-4, took out Galan as well in the semis and straight sets there. Up 26 spots, number 51. What did you think of Ugo Umber this week? Or should we hear from him? Actually, first? we're yeah, we're gonna hear from him first. Um, as as usual, when one of us travels somewhere, uh, there's gonna be some extra content for you here. And this is actually an excerpt from uh, a press conference, the only one that we're gonna have this this week. The other are all individual interviews with Ugo Umber after he beat Daniel Higalan in the semifinals. So here you go. Okay. Um, so you played for four hours yesterday, obviously, against Taro Daniel. How did you manage to, you know, handle that uh, that sort of fatigue going into into today's match? Uh, I had the uh, time yesterday to recover. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had uh, 24 hours, so it was okay. Uh, I did uh, massage uh, everything, and uh, I felt uh, so good today. Honestly, uh, uh, my uh, physical level is uh, really high. I think. Um. And you seem to be a lot more comfortable on clay in general this year compared to you know, the, the past seasons. It's actually just your second pro final on clay, I think. Um, is there any like specific change that you needed to do in order to make this possible? Uh, normally, uh, only one, uh, one or two matches uh, on clay per year. Uh, normally, I'm a grass court player, but uh, I'm enjoying uh, so much this year. I don't know why. <laughs> But uh, super proud to, to be in the final to have one uh, four matches here, so it's so great. And last year you started working with Jeremy Chardy. He's obviously here with you. You even played doubles, like just just nine games, but you played doubles here with him. Do you think he's one of the reasons behind this this improvement on clay that you've yeah, had? Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's on my team. Uh, my physical coach, Lapo, uh, my uh, coach uh, Jeremy helped me so much uh, since a uh, few months. That uh, gave me a lot of confidence. Uh, he told me that I can play uh, very good now on play, and uh, it's true. Here you go, help me out. It was not easy because uh, he's uh, the typical uh, player. Uh, I was uh, doing the racing, uh, racing the, until uh, 6 to 5 3, and uh, I was not respecting the, the game. Uh, during uh, two or three games, and uh, after it was much better uh, in the tie-break. I was more patient, and uh, I was going uh, uh, to the net uh, when, I, when I came. 
Um, yeah, and um, absolutely amazing for Umberto to win a title on clay. This is actually just his second pro title on clay, even his second pro final, but the other one was an ITF. Uh, I remember even, um, you, you, you heard me, you just heard me asking about it, but um, like asking what really changed for him this year. He couldn't really tell us much, it seems. Uh, like, um, I think he, he couldn't really express himself in English as, as well as he probably would have in French. Uh, but um, earlier this year, I remember reading that he said somewhere that he finally believes that he can win with guys like with top quality guys on clay. And you could see that um, definitely. And um, as you mentioned, this was a, a very insane run uh, today when he won the title and there was the trophy ceremony. And he mentioned, of course, Jeremy Shadi, who was there with him as, a, as the coach and um, he, he mentioned him and the two guys that are like his fitness coach and his, um, physio. And, um, you know, in my mind, I was like, he actually be probably uh, this title actually like, um, is more caused by their work than Shardy <laughs> because <laughs> Jesus Christ, I mean, he played some marathons and as you said, four hours, 13 minutes with Taro Daniel, three match points saved. Um, all of us in the crowd, I was actually watching this. Um, one of, one of my friends was uh, there and, um, in third on Thursday and on Friday. And I was actually watching this match with him and, uh, every, all the time, like we were wondering just whether this is going to break the record, right? Because 10, uh, 12 years, 11 years ago, um, in Barranquilla, Farah and Chipola played a four hour, 23 minutes match. This is like the longest match that we know of because before 2010, there's really like much times don't really exist on the, in, in the database. And, um, of course this was brought to everyone's attention last week when we had that four hour, 21 minute match in Savannah between Emery and Galarno. So all the time we're just wondering, you know, whether they are going to break the record. If it was a tiebreaker in the third, obviously they would have, um, there, some, um, some guys from the challenger tour came in, uh, later during the week and, um, of course, Josh Mezalesh, the um, uh, media manager of the Challenger Tour, I, I asked him uh, whether he has some sort of more, I know, better database than um, Jeff Sackman, the owner of Tennis Abstract, did. But he said that he also doesn't, and like he would just go by by what Jeff tweeted last week, because apparently um, in the Challenger database, there are like uh, like the official ATP Challenger Tour database that they have. There are plenty of matches which last like eight hours, lasted like eight hours, because you know the umpires just didn't turn off the timer. Or during the a rain, rain delay, yeah. yeah, yeah, during a rain delay or something like that. So um, basically, no one really knows if the, if the if four hours twenty three is the actual record. But you know, since two thousand ten, more or less, it is. So ten minutes off, but still uh, ridiculous much. I don't think it was really that good, frankly. <laughs> like the, the 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 quality was very up and down. Um, Taro had a lot of issues, like just hitting through the court. Um, Umberd in, in many uh, different parts of the match was just gifting errors as well. But, you know, the sheer drama, the, the the sheer length of the match was still a stunning watch. I'm pretty sure that this was the longest match I've ever seen live, of course. And then somehow he, Umberd was actually, um, you know, ready physically to play the semis. And he says it in the, inter in the, in the press conference excerpt that he was actually feeling great, which uh, was a complete shock to me. I thought Kalan was surely winning this, you know, after, after that long thriller that Umberd Ahead. And today in the final, uh, Umber also outlasted Jere and like completely outlasted. That was really the only reason why he won the third set. He was one free down and you could see that Jere is about to collapse. Like even when, when Umber was down first zero two, then one three, I actually started believing like that he, he has to win this match because you could see that Jere is about to really break down. 
Um, so yeah, that's why I think this this title really um, one of the main actors behind it are definitely that fitness coach and the physio. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, it seems like Umber is just able to um, play uh, tennis on clay now a little smarter. Even though he's, I think he even says in the in the in the press conference that he considers himself like a grass court player in general, which is kind of fun because you know there's just one season, right? There's just one month of grass per season. Yeah. So um, even though he's had so many good results indoors, he still considers himself a grass court player despite playing from what i can see just 32 matches on grass in his career uh but yeah it, it, it really kind of shows you that he didn't think much of himself on clay now it looks like he can definitely be you know a threat to win rounds in atp events today he even said during the trophy ceremony that um he never won more than two matches on clay I think he meant like the challenger level and higher or something like that, because as I said, he had that ITF title, right? But mm. um, well, still, um, that kind of shows you that he was not one of the players that we thought was going to win, uh, but he did. And and kudos to him for sure. And and he was a really uh, fun watch this week for sure. Like the, just the, you know, the, the, the way he just... Uh, strikes the ball, the the big serve, the, um, um, the forehand when he takes it early, but also the flat backhand was working surprisingly well in most matches, maybe not necessarily against Daniel, but as I said, that was a bit of a mess. And uh, yeah, one of the players where, um, I, I, yeah, this was, I think, my first time watching him. I'm, I'm not sure, maybe, maybe if he was in Marseille 2020, but I don't really remember him. Uh, but this is one of the players where you can just, um, no, he wasn't actually. So this was my first time watching him. And you can just very, very easily grasp uh, what makes them good. And this is a point that I'm going to uh, come back to later. Yeah, and I mean, like him outlasting Daniel and then following it up with wins over Galan and then a win where he outlasts Jere. I mean, that sort of has to give you a little bit of confidence about him going to the French Open even. Like if, if he can outlast guys uh, over the course of five sets of, of a decent quality, he, he should be able to win, uh, win a couple of rounds there. Um, yeah, as for as for Jere, his 12th Challenger Final, 2 and 10 in Challenger Finals, which I did not realize uh coming into this his first one since june 2018 uh on his run this week he beat kovalik then came back from a set down against kokinakis beat ben shelton 6-4 in the third moves up eight spots number 62 in the rankings what did you think of last Jedi this week yeah, and this is where i come back to that point uh i you know even after watching last Jedi in four matches this week i i still kind of struggle to see like it's very impressive that that with the sort of game that he has he has been so such a um like such a firm presence inside the top 100 for years now uh because if you just watch him for like five minutes you wouldn't really guess it you know you it's not something that is really natural he's not like a uh, it's someone that really uh, makes you, you know, just makes you lose your breath and like be um, be stunned by what he's doing on the court, right? And today I actually had this thought that he's kind of what someone like, I don't know, Daniel Michalski wants to be, right? Where if Daniel Michalski had a better serve, uh, better forehand, and was actually able to create uh, more offense on the backhand as well, that's how he would play, I think. So I think he's in a way that this sort of Michalski 3.0, uh, and um, this game apparently is very, very uh, successful, and it's you know he's been able to 
survive on the major mantle for such a long time. Um, in 2022, he actually played one challenger, even when he was in that on that horrible streak of like losing 18 tie breaks in, their, in a row. He still wasn't close to falling out of the top 100. He still wasn't like, you know, close to getting off the main tour. So um, yeah, I, I think with the with the sort of game that he has, it's actually uh, super uh, impressive and like, um, yeah, just just uh, kind of giving us a lot of knowledge on maybe what can what can work um, in in modern tennis still, um, despite maybe like not having the most you know um, graceful, maybe not having the most eye catching um, game on the court. Um, definitely, uh, you know, was that his solid solid best this week? Um, Kokinakis, I thought was gonna beat him, but. Um, the last two sets, of course, he dominated them. And uh, against Shelton, he pulled off a great comeback. Uh, was uh, really, um, you, you could see that he's also problem solving well in, in these two matches. And yeah, I, I think in the final, he was clearly the better player for like this, for like a set and a half, then dropped the second set kind of out of nowhere. And yeah, he just didn't have anything left for the for the third set. I, I saw he was like maybe even a bit tired in the third set against Shelton. So maybe in that sense, it wasn't as surprising. But um, yeah, it was quite fun, fun to watch Lasso Jere, just like with Uber. This was my first time watching him. And this is actually a point that I kind of have to make that uh, most of the time now when I go to a European challenger, well, I only go to European challengers, but when I go to a challenger, um, most like I you know, maybe like five or six players in the draw are first time watches live for, for me. Here, it was quite a lot, definitely. You know, with my very limited main yeah. tour experience um, with only Marseille and I think like a couple of days in Halle, uh, here plenty of these players were first time watches for me. So that was, you know, quite exciting in that way. Even though the whole challenger, like um, I definitely enjoy a bit more casual, um atmosphere than it was in Cagliari like you could kind of feel that this is already you know pretty close to an ATP tour event I I think um sort of my my go-to atmosphere the challenger is even more low-key but still it was you know it was of course a, a great experience and, and and a chance to uh yeah to check out plenty of players that I had not seen before yeah I mean on players that you don't really like mm -hmm. I I I once saw Amandine Hess, uh, French French women's player, yeah, yeah. Um, at a tournament. She, she was hitting with her coach, and for for the first five minutes, I genuinely thought she was just like a club player at the club. Like I didn't realize that she was a professional player from her ground strokes. Like they just looked so like you you would just see anybody hit them like on a on a random court as you're passing by. Uh, but she 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 managed to you know be a top two hundred player, which is impressive. But yeah, that, that was that was just like a weird experience that I had once. Going on to our semifinalists, starting with Ben Shelton, for whom this was a, a nice week, getting some pretty high quality clay wins, considering that he has very little experience, beating Marojan and Sepieri six four four six seven five. His first back to back clay wins since October twenty twenty one at the M15 at Vero Beach, where he beat Kuzuhara and plays Bicknell. Uh, so only the second time in his career, he's, he's managed to win two straight clay matches. What did you think of Ben Shelton this week? Also pushing Jared that deep. Yeah, uh, let's maybe just get on with the interview first. Um, let's just do it. 
Yeah. Um, I wonder how do you treat this clay court season? You know, is the, is the focus mostly on results or is it first and foremost like a learning opportunity for you as well? Um, I think I'm trying to do both. Um, starting with a learning opportunity, I'm trying to get my feet wet and really trying to develop my clay court game. And, uh, you know, I'm a really competitive person. So, you know, if the results come along with that, um, with my development, then uh, I'm going to be really happy and I'm competing. And, and you know, that's, that's one of the goals. Um, to have good results, but definitely the development part is coming first. Are there any like specific adjustments that you that you needed to make in order to make your clay uh, to, to make your game adapt to the clay? I don't think any huge adjustments. Mm -hmm. um, I think a little, a few uh, little little tweaks with uh, my footwork, mm -hmm. um, how I'm moving. Um, somewhat how I'm constructing my points, but um, I, I'm trying to keep my base game pretty similar and still playing the uh, attacking style of tennis I like to play. Um, before Australia this year, you never even left the United States, and now you've been in Europe for like a month. You're going to be here even longer with the clay season, with the grass. What's your what's your experience been like also away from the tennis? Yeah, it's uh, it's been interesting being away from home um, this long, but I've been able to see some cool cities, and it's been a lot of really nice places that I've been in, so I'm really grateful for, for the opportunity. Uh, a lot of kids who are 20 years old uh, don't have the chance to do the things that I've been able to do the, the last six months, so uh, yeah, I've had a lot of fun, but definitely a little homesick. Um, you're very vocal in court, of course, with the fist pumping, the shouting. Is it something that you sort of always had that come to you naturally, or did you pick it up along the way, for example, in college? Or? Yeah, I, I think it, uh, it helps me. Um, it's part of my game. Uh, it's kind of how I express myself out there, and I think it started before college, but college tennis was definitely something that, uh, you know, kept it going. Um, there's a big culture um, in that way in college tennis, and uh, I enjoy using it. I think that sometimes when uh, I'm not playing too well, I get quiet on the court, and the more that I can vocalize things and get it out, uh, the better I end up playing. And um, I wanted to ask, because these guys like Fabian, whom you played today, or Zapieri, you know, not, you didn't really play much in the juniors. You also spent the last, well, even less than a, month, than a year ago, you were still in college. So are they like complete unknowns to you in terms of like how they play, for example? Um, yeah, I, I'm definitely playing a lot of guys out here that uh, I've never played before. Um, I'm not sure if there's any guys that I've played yet this year mm -hmm. that I've had a match against before. But um, with uh, all the apps and social media technology these days, it's pretty easy to look mm -hmm. up somebody on uh, YouTube or tennis TV and, and see their matches. Um, so I'd say that it's, it's definitely different playing people for the first time, but it's, it's not completely foreign because, you know, I've seen mm -hmm. videotape of them playing. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. Yeah, and this actually required plenty of effort because he was playing only night matches. But I knew that, uh, you know, I have to get Shadow on because this is probably like one of the last chances, right? Like how many that's challengers is he going to play? Um, to get him on the challenger pod, nah, that's that's going to be hard. So, um, you know, I, I I tried. We finally talked in the gym um, after he beat Maroshan, which is actually one of the reasons why I had to skip one of the questions I had prepared. <laughs> because uh, Maroshan was just stretching like literally next to us. And I didn't feel comfortable just, uh, you know, asking more about the, to, you know, to for Shelton to talk about the match and etc. Like, nah, I, I just thought it, it will be very um, weird for both of us. Uh, well, for yeah. all three of us even. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so that was quite fun.
but yeah, uh, since he was playing just night matches, it, it you know it had to be pretty late. But thankfully, uh, he had no issue with this. And um, as you could hear, um, um, you know, with Shelton, there's just so many storylines, right? So I, I knew that uh, for him, I, I can easily come up with like a billion questions. Of course, of course, I didn't ask him a billion, but just chose the the ones that seemed most um, necessary and the ones that seemed more most exciting to me. Um, can Ben Shelton be a very solid clay player in the future? I think he can, you know. I think he even showed it this week. You know, the the, the serve is going to hurt. The the forehand is going to hurt for sure. But the way he's moving on clay, uh, the way his speed and also the the athleticism sort of shine even more. Um, the way he can actually be consistent of the ground. I think his rally tolerance really isn't as as bad as people think it is. Um, I really enjoyed watching him this week for sure. He's a super exciting player as well because of you know the energy on the court that's um that's really bound to make him i think a crowd favorite in many events um the, the matches he played against Zapieri and Maroshan, i think they were pretty similar in that the opponent tried to play as fast as him so i wasn't really sure how he was going to do against jerry right because you know it's a completely different matchup and uh it turned out that for a set and a half he was actually doing so well he was hitting much cleaner of the ground and you could really see that he can be steady when he wants to um then uh mm -hmm. you know he kind of left a sour taste with just going overboard on certain volleying the, the last couple of sets and um, for a long while it went unpunished eventually of course did go punished um, but I think it's still a very, a very nice week for Shelton, just getting more clay experience, which, um, as you could also uh, hear him talking about in the interview, is like maybe even as important as the results uh, for him this this clay season. Just um, yeah, getting more and more practice on it, and for me, it, it it really looks like he could potentially in the future be a very solid clay player. I'm not saying win, you know, win ATP titles or something. Um, unless it's like a small one in Munich or something. But um, it's just really all about not wasting that part of the season or like not not having to avoid clay, right? That's something that, I don't know, Brandon Nakashima a couple of years ago did when he was just awful on clay. And he yet he kept playing in these European clay events. And uh, this year, of course, not really because he has been injured at the beginning of the year and like looks like his clay season will go to waste. But last year, you could already see how much he's improved. And I think with every single year, it should be, um, well, Shelton should be improving on clay too. And uh, this uh, strategy of uh, going here, you know, going to Europe for such a long time, I think it's really going to bring him a lot of great results. Um, of course, he kind of is in the position to do that because of the Australian Open quarterfinal, right? We don't really know what his plans would be if if not for that. But he has given himself enough uh, protection in the ranking sort of for a year that he can afford to do this. Yeah, and I mean he's absolutely investing in his future with 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 you know going out of his way to to try and get more more clay match play. Uh, like it, it makes a lot of sense. It, it should pay off for him going down the road. And I mean, guys like you know Tommy Paul, we're going to talk about later. We we have seen Americans be successful on clay. Like it's not all just Isner and Query and and pain uh, while they get ground down uh, over the course of these two months. Like they 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 are they are competitive. Uh, this new generation of Americans. Uh, you also spoke to Daniel Elahi Galan, uh, who beat Koboli, Nishioka, and Goyo all in three setters. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's maybe start with the interview. 
Uh, all right, so we had an unbelievable three-round between Ugo Umber and Taro Daniel just before your match. So how was it like to, you know, to wait for them so long? Yeah, something that you never expect, to be honest, four hours. <laughs> it's just, I mean, maybe in a five, five six match you, you would expect that, but in a three sets, no. But yeah, I mean, it was okay. We just, I mean, just waiting and <laughs> eating again and warming up again, but it was fine, yeah. Um, so you let 6-4-3-1 uh, today, you, it seemed like 6 3, three one. it seemed like you were in total control of the match. What happened from your, you know, from your perspective? How did it get complicated? Oh, well, I, I think 6-4-3-1, I was playing good. Uh, he played that game very well, to be honest. I was steady love and uh, he just, I mean, he just hit like three winners in a row and uh, I mean, it was a good game of him. And then uh, I kept fighting and it was a couple of couple of tight, uh, very close games, and uh, yeah, I just lo lost my focus in the four-all, and uh, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, the confidence went away, and especially in the third set at the beginning, I was just break down and almost to break down, but uh, uh, I mean, I just I just kept fighting until uh, until I was able to get, get again in, into the rhythm, and, and yeah, that's what I did. Uh, I think he probably didn't know that because it was pretty dynamic. But if he won today, he actually would have broken the top 100. <laughs> what's your what's your comment on that? Uh, no, no, I didn't know. But I mean, that's an uh, uh, awful situation. I, uh, I mean, not necessarily. But when I was at that point, I mean, it took me a couple of years, and it was a nightmare because you check the rankings and all this. But I mean, he's a good player. He eventually will will break the top 100. And yeah, I mean, something. Uh, that we shouldn't be t thinking about it so much, and uh, yeah. Uh, your start of the season maybe wasn't so great, but now you're really picking up steam. You have the final in Sarasota this run. Do you feel like you're close to your top shape now? Uh, definitely, very difficult start of the year. Uh, I just uh, I just got injured from very and the first day of the year. I mean, first match of the year, and uh, yeah, it was tough. And uh, when I came back uh, from injury. Uh, you know, uh, you don't have any rhythm and you just feel like very, I don't know, not like not with enough matches and uh, not with the confidence either in, in the injury and also in your game. So it was, yeah, it was uh, February, March, it was tough. I was not winning, like you said, I was not winning any matches. And uh, yeah, I started in Miami, I lost, but it was... Uh, Looking much better, and uh, yeah, I started winning even one match during the weeks, and then I did final in Sarasota, and now I'm, I'm doing much better. Thank you. And yeah, as you could hear, he he talks about uh, injuring himself at the very beginning of the season, and then sort of not being able to to produce uh, because of that for for a couple of months. Uh, but now he's really starting to fire again. Sarasota final, of course. Uh, he even played a pretty good match in Madrid against Public, and of course this run here. Uh, disappointing showing in the in the semifinal. Like he never really played his best tennis. Uh, he was pretty smart about trying to get back into the match. Like he just added a lot of height to his balls, and uh, you know these are the sort of shots that Umber on grass or a quick hard court. He's just gonna kill them on clay. They become pretty tricky for him, and he you know he forced the tiebreaker. Um, so I thought that was like a nice showing of how um, intelligent Galan can be on the court. It didn't work out uh, in the end. He just, you know, Umber was definitely the better player on the day, uh, but but still a nice a nice showing. I was impressed with like his um, 
physical um, ability as well. Like just, just you know, how uh, you usually think of Galan as this guy who uh, hits a big serve, hits a big forehand, right? But he's also able to just move so well around the clay court. And um, maybe that's also like why, even though in in theory he has a hard court game, he's always been more um, competent, more confident on, on the dirt. Of course, not counting that Tsitsi uh, win at the, the US Open last year. But I think this is really um, this is really the reason behind this this thing because I remember when he beat uh, Tsitsipas last year, a lot of people on Twitter were like wondering why doesn't he have more hardcore results, right? Why doesn't he play more on hardcourts? Uh, but I think um, yeah, just the sort of uh, the fitness, the um, ability to um, move around the the dirt, uh, he uh, he has uh, is really uh, one of the keys to his game, and um, it was a lot of fun watching him for sure this week. Uh, denied Borna Goya the top 100 debut, I guess, which I guess we have to mention. We don't have an interview with Goya, so we have to mention it now. But if Borna Goya beat Galan in the quarterfinals, he would have broken the top 100. Now, I'm not sure if Goya actually knew that going into the match because the situation was like really dynamic. Uh, but yeah, Pro- that's what would have not. happened. Um, yeah, I, I, it, it, I assume it was that... really close. It was. It, it's possible that he didn't know because, like, in the morning, it still wasn't certain. Uh, when he played, it actually was already. So, yeah, I mean, I, I assume that most coaches would want to sort of not tell the player ahead of the match, or you know, like, like oh, like, like definitely, but like the player has um, has a phone too, right? The player can. Well, yes, of course, but yeah, if, if, and this if, this if, is something, by the way, that Galan said in the interview. Depends on the player, really. Yeah. Um, said in this interview that um, he uh, like he, he thinks that we shouldn't really be looking at this that much, right? The rankings, but you know, the reality is that that he was when he, uh, because Galan had a very tough path to the to the top one hundred, right? It took him a couple of years of being really close until he finally made it so um i i think it was uh really interesting to to, to hear him say that as well that um you know he, he was maybe looking at the rankings a bit too much i don't know if goyo was uh but um but yeah that's what would have happened if if goyo uh, won uh yeah you, we also have taro daniel here who beat kovacevic mcdonald and then of course played that for our battle against ugomber uh you spoke to him as well right Yes, absolutely. Uh, this is the only uh, repeat offender of this week. Uh, the only player that we've had before. It was in Braunschweig last year, and uh, I think I've said it already in Braunschweig. Actually, let's let's go with the interview. I'm gonna say it after that. So um, the last time you played Maki and Pai, you lost two six to six, and today the scoreline was practically reversed. Why do you think that happened? You know, well, I think um, this tournament we were both quite eager to do well because we both didn't have a great start of the clay. Um, so I mean, you know, I think I really adjusted well this week, and uh, the the courts today were not bouncing great, which yeah. I think was to my advantage. Match point. Um, because I just you know hitting balls higher, making taking timing off of him. Mm-hmm. Which is very uncomfortable for him and I think I did that well without being too passive um, last time I tried to play too much like a clay court player and then he just dominated me so that was a good adjustment for him yeah. this year you've already scored some big wins Roots, 
aware of Berrettini? Did any of them, like in your mind, come close to what you did in Indian Wells five years ago when you beat Djokovic? It was a very different feeling um, because with Djokovic, uh, I felt like I didn't really know what, why, how, why or how I won that match. It, I just thought it was just kind of like this thing that maybe God gave me as a present, you know, a little bit like he was in a bad moment and I just kind of really played well to make him play badly. Um, but I felt like with Rude Berrettini's very this year I, I was actually there like with the level and I felt that if I kept going maybe at some point even if I'm 30 already I can still get to get closer to their rankings you know um, of course it takes a long long road but uh, it didn't seem impossible to me so that was a good very different feeling from the two yeah I see and maybe last thing uh, whenever I see you at an event it seems like you're also other than practicing you know playing you're also watching a lot of matches are you one of these players who you know for you the, the passion for the sport extends way beyond, way beyond playing yeah maybe because I, I actually don't watch that much sports outside of mm -hmm. tennis so I but I do follow tennis results and uh, maybe too much. <laughs> It's not good for me because, um, you know, with my ranking, everything really impacts you know, the cuts and the Grand Slam cuts and the 250 cuts and everything. So, um, yeah, I, I, try to follow, I try to watch tennis in a more energetic level, like the momentum shifts of every match. And those are things that are very interesting and not be too analytical about too many things. Um, But yeah, other than that, I try to also kind of see as much as possible uh, the places that I go to, especially after COVID, because uh, it's been a, it was a good wake-up call, you know, that we were very lucky to be able to travel, so we should take advantage of it also, yeah. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Um, I've already said it in Braunschweig, I think, uh, but uh, if anyone is ever like looking for a guy to interview at the Challenger, if anyone is cred credentialed or not the Challenger, maybe even other events, Paro Daniel, I think, is a is a very recommended choice. Like he really makes you think that um, he's excited to talk to you, which I think he actually is. Like I, I don't I don't think that's uh, he's faking that or anything. And of course, uh, you know, being a native speaker of English, uh, he was he was born in New York, and of course, he's half American. Um, he uh, he also is able to give you more than um, you know than, than, than some players maybe who aren't as confident in, in speaking the language. But yeah, a very weird route for him because everyone he played was like terrible on clay, right? <laughs> McDonald who's usually struggling, Kovacevic for whom this was the fourth um, red clay match in his life. One of them was uh, in Verona in 2021. And two of them were, were on altitude clay in Colombia, so that was that was really uh, something. And yeah, Taro just sh should have made it to the semis. I don't think he would have won the title if he closes out Umbert, because it seemed to me like he. Um, we see we see this a lot a lot in some challengers where you see that someone is the strongest player in that section, but he's probably not going to win the title. Like against the against yeah. the other semifinalists, the final the, the the potential finalists, he's probably going to be weaker than them. Uh, but he should have been in the semis, honestly. He was 7-6, 5-3-up on serve. He missed two match points on serve and then one more in the tie break on, on return. Uh, but it wasn't, like, he choked a bit for sure. But at the same time, it was also because of his limitations, right? I mean, he just had issues hitting through the ball. He just had issues um, uh, ramping up the pace on Umberi when he needed to. And I mean, that, that's really his game. But um, as I said, I think that the interview is is, is pretty good. And um, 
uh, he he gives a lot of nice um, info there. Also on the same thing as as Galan, uh, he he says you know about um, his ranking right now, which is 104. Um, that that it kind of makes him you know check every single result and like because everything impacts the cuts and you know whether he gets into an event etc. So um, also a very similar theme in this interview as as Galan was talking about and maybe caring about the rankings a bit too much. But you know that's the reality for for these these players right whether you make a main draw of a slam or not for example is basically for some uh you know the, the difference between a good moment and a, and a bad moment in their careers right and and that's um as especially as a challenger um as challenger fans as a challenger podcast i think that's something that really uh you know we need to keep in mind and um yeah um very nice uh very nice guy again and um i i definitely uh enjoyed watching him this week even though he should have made the semis he definitely should have then we wouldn't have had uh Hugo as the as the winner who who wins the title then who knows but um yeah j- just barely barely uh barely lost to umber uh could have could have been a much better week for him but still the quarters even though he had a pretty good draw uh, is definitely a good showing. Uh, another quarterfinalist was Giulio Zepieri, who beat Andrea Vassori in a big battle, 7-6-4-6-6-4, got through Bellucci uh, rather easily, 6-2-6-love, uh, and then lost to Ben Shelton, 5-7-3. You caught up with him at the tournament as well, right? Yep. Uh, let's uh, let's maybe start with that. This is after he uh, played Vavasori in the opening round. Um, yeah, so, uh, for example, there are a lot of blank Italians like you in the Challenger level right now, like, a lot of them are here, right? What do you think is the reason behind this? Is there something that your federation does better? Yes, of course, the federation made a really, really good job, also in the last year, so uh, we are very good guys, we have good relationship with each other, so maybe we grew up together, we push each other for make better, so I think that all of us, uh, we can do top 100 very, very soon. This year you started working with Massimo Sartori. Could you tell me something about how he's, a, he's been able to help you? Yes, of course, he's a great coach. Maybe the best in Italy or one of the best. Uh, he's former coach of Andrea Seppi, so a very good story. Um, I don't have too much to say to him. We are, we are knowing each other. We are trying to, to help me to, to play my best tennis, so we'll see. And this is one of the first Challenger 175s in, in Europe, and yeah. there was only that one in Phoenix. Do you think these sort of events can really help you know players like you who are close to the top 100 break through to that to that top level? Well, I think the the entry is very tough. Uh, a lot of players with the very good ranking is here, also in Phoenix or Aksan Provence. So I think it's difficult, like 250. It's the same level, so we will see. But uh, it's not it's not easy to go to go to the final or semi final. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, and he was like the uh, main interview target for all the Italian journalists there because he was, of course, the last to stay in the event. Uh, and it has to be said that I mean I know he's had some poor losses on clay recently, but like, Zapieri has made so much progress this year. Really, I don't know if it's the impact of Massimo Sartori, so Andreas is Se- Andreas Seppi's former coach, as he even says in the interview. And um, I don't know if, if 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 it's his impact. They started working together at the end of 2022, uh, but yeah, just um, the way he was uh, the way he was blasting that forehand was was pretty insane and. 
um, after the the sort of campaign that he had in 2022, when uh, he basically had just two random peaks out of nowhere, right? Ram Garros qualifying and then also um, Umak semifinals. Uh, seems like this year he's just going to be able to produce more, more and more results. So um, yeah, kudos to him for that, of course. And the the, the final in Sherbrooke and the uh, sorry, the title in Sherbrooke and the final in Rovereto that he had at the beginning of the year indoors as well is also some sort of uh, you know sign of a change because uh, before that he wasn't really getting any results of clay, uh, which with his game actually doesn't make sense, right? Because he he should be doing up some good things of clay as well and yeah i thought he was coming he was very close to shelton probably like um was spreading the court a bit better just able to place the ball um more uh with more precision which you know makes sense with his clay background 100 percent um had a couple of break points at four all even and um yeah i didn't really think of him as a potential top 100 debut this year um i think mostly because of his 2022 campaign being somewhat underwhelming but right now i i actually believe he has a very good chance if he can do it be- before the umag um semifinals of course because that would be a pretty big hit to his rankings that he would have to make up for but um yeah Zapiri was probably one of the guys who like I I really changed my perspective of him after this week I would say uh yeah and you also spoke to Vatanuki uh who got a win over Montero after retirement um yeah um Vatanuki I I did talk to him after that Montero win um of course uh not really a clay court player most of the time but uh he was so fun to watch and I guess I fully expected that right yeah, and over like um, the last half, um, you know, uh, six months of the six months or something like this, Watanuki has definitely been one of my favorite watches on the Challenger Tour, and not only. Uh, he has shown on some occasions, like playing, you know, Tiafo Nori, that he can definitely hang with the very best, and um, yeah, just a, a very eye-catching style. Let's uh, let's have the interview because I think we still haven't had it yet. Um, yeah, so you have such an aggressive playing style, you know, taking balls on the rise. How do you manage to make it so effective on clay as well? Huh. You know, uh, when I last year and uh, I was playing like, you know, come back slow and slow and into defensive. But uh, end of the year, I played a uh, challenger and hard goal and then play well until the uh, Austria Open or whatever in the, in the hard court. and uh, when I came clay court and uh, how, you know the, so many good players on the clay court I have to something different I have to do and uh, I just decided to much more aggressive with the other player that is uh, the work for, for today yeah uh, so there were a couple of seasons in your career when you had these exceptionally good results in Asian challengers at the end of the year, Kobe, of course, especially. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then taking it elsewhere was a bit of a struggle. So what's different now? What's different this year? Oh. Yeah. Uh, I just now feeling well. I mean, couple my first Grand Slam and win uh, in the Menjo in the Australia Open and then two Masters, especially last week uh, on the play court, the same uh, first time win for them for me. 
And then now feeling and the mentally so well, and then I just want to keep going. And lastly, I wanted to ask about that returning position of yours. Mm -hmm. It's very, it's like identical to Kei Nishikori. Is it inspired by him? Yeah, of course. Yeah, we, you know, he's uh, especially for the Japan. And uh, you know, I told you sometimes I have to do different other player, and uh, yeah, I just decided to a couple times mix and uh, close to the net, and sometimes the. Come to back and then give ball. Yeah, that is. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And uh, yeah, even on clay, he he was really you know, just just so many flashy points. And um, I think um, he he's his style of playing tennis is actually really impressive because most players, I would say. Uh, like most uh, talented individuals in the world still wouldn't be able to play like this. Like if you're, for example, um, I think I even made this point to my friend when we were watching that Goyo Watanuki match, that um, like playing tennis like Bornagoyo, there's plenty of people in the world who do that, right? Um, you have a big serve, you just um, are, is pre you're, you're pretty steady off the baseline, which Goyo maybe hasn't always been, but he is right now. It's and like just... a classic Balkan style. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's very, it's, it's very reminiscent of players that you have seen before him. Yeah. Exactly. And like Watanuki played play tennis the way he does. <laughs> Barely anyone in the world can really pull it off and be any sort of successful. So, um, you know, it, it is definitely like the sort of tennis that I like watching as well. So um very glad that I was able to see him live and just, um, yeah, see that he was just as fun as, as I thought. Um, that uh, Nishikorian uh, return position, return stance is also pretty interesting. Uh, and as he, as you could hear him in the interview, he said it's, it's definitely Nishikori inspired uh, so have, have, uh, have, have, have you mentioned on the last episode? I, I, I didn't listen back. Did you, you mentioned Nishikori. And uh, no, I did not. Right? But yeah, Nishikori is going to be back in like a month uh, playing American Challengers. If anyone's, uh, if anyone hasn't heard of that, I think like Little Rock or, Ty or Tyler, right? These are, these are his first. Yeah, uh, those, those are the first two. Yeah, yes. they are mostly in the during Crown Garros, right? So that's going to be one of the the storylines to follow on um, the Challenger Tour during Crown Garros. And uh, yeah, I guess that's really all to say about Watanuki. He lost to Goyo. I probably should have taken the second set. He had plenty of break points there late in the late in the second. Uh, but uh, the fact that he's even able to produce um, some very nice results on clay this year uh, gives me a lot of confidence that he can probably get into the top 100. You know, before that, um, before the points start dropping from the Asian swing last year. And of course, you know, this year he's already produced in many, many, many events besides Asia, which, uh, yeah, in the past over, over the course of his career, wasn't really always happening or like wasn't really happening at all. Yeah. I mean, outside of that small Indian Wells Phoenix blip, it's, it's been a, it's been a great season for him and it's sort of continued on play. Like, like, like he's getting a yeah. lot more, Clay wins that I would have that I would have expected. Uh, of course, most of them are in in qualifying, and the the quality is sort of varying. Um, but yeah, I'm still like really impressed with how well he's sort of taken that that run that he had in Asia the, the, towards the end of last year and continued it. Really impressed. In the doubles, we had Edled and Midled beat Gonzalez and Molteni. We can go over to X on Provence, where we had the fifth seed Andy Murray beat Tommy Paul in the final 2-6-6-1-6-2, his third career challenger title. Uh, first one since Binghamton in August 2005, breaking the record for the longest gap between challenger titles. 
uh like almost 18 years 17 and a, and what is that nine months uh absolutely insane for him to be able to achieve this and on clay who no, no, nobody would have seen this coming but just to run through his result he beat four frenchmen in a row coming into the final starting with gal monfils six three six two beat locally in three sets six three in the third took out lucas van luca van ash six two seven six beat Errol mayo seven five six one up 10 spots number 42 what did you make of andy murray and this this incredible run to the title yeah the matches that he played on clay before this uh this year against the minor and Vavasori were absolutely Horrible. disgusting yeah rotted and Rotten somehow matches. he wins this was this like the highest uh, quality tennis not really most of the time i think a lot of uh, in a lot of sets in a lot of matches this week he kind of outcompeted if that makes sense the opponents you know they uh he was he went toe to toe with them and, until they broke down sort of and that's what happened somehow with Tommy Paul like after the opening set Paul's level just dropped off a cliff and um it was still you know, kudos to Murray for um like not really allowing him any chance back and when he actually started dominating back into back end exchanges he just never yeah never really let them go was easily the one um you know switch changing direction er earlier than Paul um against Locoli, it was pretty interesting as well right because he had uh, four match points I think in the second set he blew them all uh, and it almost seemed like it could be one of these stories where uh you know never mind how many matches like this you won a choke can still happen to you but of course he uh, studied the ship and yeah it was a very unexpected winner in Aix-en-Provence for sure and um maybe we're also gonna see him on the challenge tour in Bordeaux but that of course depends on how he performs in Rome yeah, I mean, look, after the losses to Deminor and I mean, especially to Babasori, where he he's losing in, in straight sets to Andrea Babasori, I I mean, I was thinking that he he should probably shut down Clay and just go on like start and prepare, start preparing for the grass now, uh, and fine tune form for that. But for him to come into excellent performance, I, I I did expect him to beat Monfils because I think Monfils is still very very far away from the level that most people attach to his name yeah uh, even even when you think about him as a as a 36 year old one piece like this has been really quite quite poor uh but yeah i mean i i think that match against locally really fired him up having to fight for it after losing all those all those uh match points that he had and yeah got through vanash got through mayo and somehow got through tommy paul who uh this, this was the seventh challenger finalist first was his tiburon in 2019 he was like really strong coming into the final, did not drop a single set. Big Blancano, Rodionov, and Gofan all in straight sets. When a six-two set up, most of them are six-two sets uh that he that he won. Um, but yeah, for him to just collapse in the final like that, still stays at number 17 in the rankings, but adds a hundred points. So sort of closes the gap ahead, makes a bigger gap behind him. But yeah, what did you make of this week for for Tommy Paul? It wasn't too weird because like he, his draw was pretty was really good for for the most part, right? Maybe not Gofeu, but still. And uh, he goes uh, six to up in the final. It seems like he just has one of the cleanest challenger runs we're gonna see all year, right? And then 
I don't really know. I mean, it, it also seemed like he was a little low on energy later. I don't know. Pretty weird uh, showing in the final. But um, of course, um, like for a moment, he was like the poster boy for how a top 20 player can use a challenger in the second week of a Masters, right? Like for, for um, it looked like for a while that that he might uh, do something like this. And yeah, then yes. just then just had a couple of weak sets in the final. Um, of course, Tommy Paul can play and clay. Like he's always been one of the best Americans of clay. He's always been one that can actually do something on the surface. So um, not too surprising. Just um, a little, maybe a little weird, uh, you know, the style in which he lost the final, especially after cleaning up the first set so easily. But um, yeah, definitely got what he wanted out of Aix-en-Provence. So maybe not the title, but the match rhythm that he probably came here for. Maybe Neither more so it. even, yeah. And lost, uh, lost, mm -hmm. lost to Hanifpan in Houston and Sapulin in in Madrid. So so he was yeah. winless. Didn't even win a set uh, on clay coming into this week. And this was so the, the first challenger, some challenger um, guys and Goffin, and then uh, lost to well, had this weird final where he where he wins an easy set and then just disappears. Um, interesting, but yeah, I I think overall a positive for for Tommy Paul. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, got the much practice, got, got the rhythm. So I think that's that's really good. And um, he, well, this was his first challenger since, since Knoxville, uh, 2019 in November, by the way. All right, let's go to our semifinalists, starting with Davi Goffin, who beat Benoit Pair, Dana Dead in three sets, beat Atur Fils 7-6 in the third for his second challenger semifinal this season after winning Otinier. What did you make of Goffin this week? Yeah, so um, Aix-en-Provence was obviously more or less at the same time as Cagliari all the time, so um, I didn't really get that much watching in. Uh, I did see Goffin against Fields, though, uh, most of it, and uh, like some of the hitting was insane, you know? When Goffin is playing well, he has that um, insane uh, timing, you know, just taking a lot of balls on the rise and being so precise, so, um, you know, getting such good depth on it as well. And I fought against Fies in the in the latter two sets. He was really amazing. So uh, maybe a little disappointing from that perspective that he wasn't able to threaten Tommy Paul whatsoever. Uh, but but still a, a nice run for him. And he also got the much practice he needed, right? And he's like what uh, almost uh, almost out of the top 100 as well. So um, really needs big results right now. But definitely put those points to to good use because because he definitely needed them. Our other semifinalist was Adolf Mayo, uh, who started by beating Antoine Huang in the first qualifying round and lost to Ivan Gakhov in two tiebreaks, but got back into that main draw where he beat Nuno Borges, Brandon Nakashima, and Alexander Bublik all in straight sets uh, before losing to Andy Murray. This run takes him into the top 200 for the first time in his career at 21 years old. What did you make of Adolf Mayo this week? I read an interesting um, tweet this week from a from a French guy that I follow on Twitter, um, who uh, basically said that Adol Mayo is like the actual prodigy, and like if you compare him with Arthur Cazo, that he is so much more talented than Cazo. I remember reading this, and I was like, "What? <laughs> what the heck?" Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe we're gonna be proven wrong. Um, I mean, Mayo was better in the juniors, sure. He won the Australian Open final uh, yeah. between them, right? But, like, does he really have a sort of modern tennis game? I'm not really sure. Um, I mean, gonna... he, he was absolutely horrendous this year coming into it. Like, yeah. mo mo most of the losses that he had were, were kind of disappointing, especially on clay. 
going one and three, only beating Sultanov. Uh, yeah, but you know he played Andreev, Mochizuki, Ponadio. Mochizuki I guess pretty, Andrei, pretty good opponents, yeah, right? Guess, but... Um, I don't know. I mean, we're going to see how much of a flash in the pen this is. Of course, uh, beating Junior Borges is kind of the eye-catching result, I think, because public on clay can be anything right now. And Takashima, yeah, just having a terrible year since getting injured. Uh, but still, you know, for Mayo to beat Borges, Nakashima and Bublik in a row. And he actually, uh, like, kept it really close against Mara in the, in the semi as well. So we'll see how much he takes out of this. Of course, we've seen him in the Challenger final before in Tampere last year. So... Uh, it's not like he cannot play. He also had that big run in Kozerki. He he was improving physically. He was improving his serve. But I don't know. Just just seeing him named as like you know one of the main French prospects right now was kind of weird for me. But usually I trust that guy. So I'm 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 uh, curious how it's gonna you know pan out in the in the future. Yeah, because I mean when you, when you think about 21 and under French players right now, he's probably fourth, fifth. Peels, um, De Bru, um, Cazo, um, Pesci Pericard, Van, Van Ash. Yeah, like fifth, sixth, something like this, right? Yeah, so, I mean, if, if he has the potential, if he can realize it somehow and, you know, prove us wrong, I, I think that would be, that'd be quite fun. But uh, certainly a, a, a big run to to build off of and a, and a big rankings boost that's yeah. going to help him out going forward. I mean, yeah, and just, just just so no one really like gets um you know um, understands this wrong. I mean, he obviously can be a challenger player. It's like yeah. um you know, it's just a comparison to someone like Kazo that was kind of surprising. Even though in the rankings they're gonna be like ex- at exactly the same spots right now. Yeah, I mean, for 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 me, it's it's like the whole concept of him of him being the main French yeah or the French prodigy from this generation is a little bit surprising to me, but. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see. He may prove us all wrong yet. Anybody else you want to talk about from the singles in us? Um, no, probably not. I mean, uh, Fields had a pretty decent run of all ju- just uh, deciding tie breaks, right? But um, I wonder how he would have done if he beat Goffin, Um because I feel like he would have played Paul closer, and uh, you know, yeah. then the final was really winnable, I think, for him. So, um, so yeah, that's something we'll never we're we'll never gonna know. But um, I think he also got what he needed out of this event. So um, also like a way to get back on track, right? Yeah, Kubler and Piers won the title here. Uh, might be interesting something to monitor for for Davis Cup doubles and if if, if they if, if they're the they're the team going forward. Uh, they beat Borges and Cabral six seven six four ten seven. So Borges after the first round exit to Mayo made up for it and doubles alongside his his good friend uh all right we, we can go to Guangzhou where you got the point uh this week in a direct matchup in the final Jordan Thompson beating my pick Max Purcell 6-3-6-2 Thompson's 11th challenger title second one this season he's won now his last three challenger finals that he's been in started with a you know, Serbia dropping his only set to to Wisung Park six one six seven six love, which was a little bit bizarre considering, especially that he then went on to beat Donskoy, Hijikata, Eubanks, and Purcell all in straight sets. Up eleven spots, number eighty. What did you make of Thompson's run this week? Yeah, I wish I saw that much against Wisung Park because it sounds hilarious. Uh, but you know, other than that, Thompson definitely did what I what I expected him to do. Um, the win over Eubanks was probably the most important, I would say. Um, when when he was, um, you know, he we knew that he was going to meet in the final against Purcell. 
um, well, meet Purcell in the final. I didn't regret my pick. I definitely felt like he was the, the favorite there, although has to be said that the other Aussies performance was um, was quite disappointing as well. Um, Thompson, uh, you know, he's made 24 challenger finals and interestingly, nine of them in Asia, just four in Europe and three of them on grass. And um, I, I, I said today on Twitter that, you know, some call it vulturing. We would definitely call it smart scheduling and um, yeah. Ma- ma- maximizing your, your potential. Maximizing yeah. your potential by smart scheduling. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Uh, and it's not like this event it was even weak, doing. right? Like it's not even talking about this particular run because this no, particular no, run was... Like you, you could get these sort of quality players in Europe, like Hijikata, Eubanks, Purcell to win that title. It, it's pretty huge. And exactly. Donskoy as well. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're not talking about like, you know, Anning on, on Asian yeah. clay back in the day. Like, like, like this this is a proper swing that they put together in Korea that I'm, I'm it, it's really nice to see for them to to have this. Type yeah, of and, and it has free players, yeah. Like yeah, three top 100 right. players every single week. Purcell, Thompson, Eubanks at the same time guys like Hijikata, Vuki. So not, yeah, not these events are not. Here. Yeah, uh-huh. these events are not vulturing. Yeah, I agree. As for Max Purcell, this was his ninth challenge of challenger final, fifth one already this season. Uh, just crazy. Uh, on this run, he was largely dominant throughout the week, beating Berankis six three six two Saville. 6262 uh Emilio Gomez 6276 beat Paul Mans 11-2 in the semis. So the performance in the final was kind of puzzling. It moves up two spots number 87. What were your thoughts on Purcell this week? Yeah, the performance in the final was definitely weird. He couldn't really create anything on the offense. Um, I think we uh, missed like two matches from him this week because, of course, um the, like actually the whole week in uh, in South Korea was apparently really rainy. Uh, plenty of matches were moved indoors, non-stream, uh, but the semi-final and the final were outdoors, uh, which actually made for a fun, um, well, quick change of conditions in on Saturday because they played the quarters and the semis on the same day, and the quarters were indoors, but the semi-finals were outdoors. Uh, clearly, Purcell handled that that um, that well, and yeah, as he said, just an, an insane number of wins uh, on the Challenger Tour this year. Uh, just a very weird showing in the final where, um, you know, they, they play pretty similar styles, but um, it was actually Thompson on the day who got a lot more out of his serve and was just able to attack without losing control over his shots. Anytime Purcell tried to be aggressive, it was just, you know, ending in some wild errors. So, yeah, just one bad showing this week, but still an improvement over Seoul, right? Yeah. Uh, as for our semi-finalists, let's start with Mark Pomans, who beat Shimizu 2-6-7-5-6-4, took out Duckworth and Jason Jung, both in straight sets to reach those that, that semi where he, he lost very easily. But he does return to the top 200 in the rankings after this run. What did you make of Pomans this week? Yeah, pretty clearly where he belongs, well, you know, with what he's been doing in the past couple of, uh, like in the past uh, half a year since returning from injury. Uh, I did not see that much in the semis against Purcell, so I'm not sure why he only won two games there. I thought, you know, at that time I was already thinking of a potential Thompson Purcell final, and I actually thought that Polmans was probably going to cause some issues to to Max. So um, yeah, quite surprised about this. They're actually uh, they've met ten times already, and they're five all now. And uh, Purcell has already lost to Polmans this year in Bernie. So um, yeah, that sort of result between them is definitely quite uncanny. Yeah, our other semifinals was Chris Eubanks, who is, uh, you know, coming off of that massive Miami run. He he came to South Korea, had a 
quarterfinal run in Seoul. This time he goes to the semis. Weathered the storm against Lloyd Harris in the first round, 7-6-4-6-6-4. That was a really big win for him. Enabled him to then beat uh, Brendan Holt, 6-2-6-1. Bu Yun-chok at the coming off of the title, 6-3-6-2. Lost to Thompson in the semis. What did you make of Eubanks' run this week? Yeah, nothing really we can like criticize him for, right? I mean, quarterfinal loss to Vokic, semifinal loss to Thompson. He was the guy I was a, a bit afraid of with, you know, um, Thompson as my pick. Um, turns out that it was in straights, but of course not not a really not a really easy match. And as you said, that his draw was actually really tough. Harris Holt, Yunchao Keta to even get to the semis. Um, that was a pretty good feat. And yeah, he's he's delivering, you know, since Miami so far. He really, uh, you know, we can't really say anything, um, anything that would be like mean that Chris Eubanks is not doing as well as as he was. Not really. Um, maybe the, the sort of the view of this would have been different if he lost that match to Shimizu in in Seoul, where Shimizu served for the match, I think. But otherwise, like he's been pretty much just yeah, getting good consistent results. Mm-hmm. Also want to do a quickly mention Jason Jung, who made the quarterfinals here as a qualifier, uh, coming through the qualies against uh, Ochi and Maria. Uh, then he beat Kudla and Yun Seong Chang, who, who both went deep in Seoul, uh, both in three sets. So a couple of nice wins from there. His first quarterfinals since uh, his first tournament of the year in in Nantaburi too. Uh, over in doubles, we had Evan King and Reese Stolder lift the title, beating Andrew Harris and JP Smith. 6462. Let's go over to Prague, where we had Dominic Sticker beating Sebastian Offner 7663 to win his fifth challenger title, five and one in the finals. Uh, second one this season. Started by beating Ivanovsky, then came back from a set down against Melijeni Alves and Svrčina. Won a big match against Krajinovic 755763. Uh, to then get to the final and beat Offnet and moves up 14 spots from 115 in the rankings. What did you think of Stryker this week? Yeah, first tournament after like a small injury. I'm not even sure of what, but he was gone of the, like he was, um, you know, writing himself off entry lists for a month. Uh, but he comes back in Prague, wins the title, uh, puts himself, you'd think, right back into top 100 contention, right? I mean, he's 61 points away. Uh, I don't think he's defending that much outside of Zug. Of course, there's some results on grass as well, like the second round at some ATP Tour event. But like he could match this, right? He could match this quite easily. Uh, you could imagine him doing that. So um, yeah, again, there's a big chance. It's actually quite unbelievable that he still hasn't broken to the 100, <laughs> like someone with his potential. But I think it will be pretty soon. And uh, getting a title on clay and not on like small altitude clay like in Zug. Um, is definitely already a big boost to to Stricker's chances. Not that he's poor on clay, you know, he's he wasn't in an ATP tour quarterfinal a couple of years ago. But um, you know, generally, of course, the surface he's been maybe a little less successful on in the pros. Um, not talking about the juniors because he won Ron Garros there, of course. Yeah, let's move on to Sebastian Ofner, his eleventh challenger final, three and eight. Fourth final in 2023, still yet to win a title. Always the bridesmaid, never the bride this season on the Challenger Tour for Sebastian Ofner. Of course, I mean, he was probably an outsider in, in most of those outside of the one against Genesi, but 
He was actually the favorite against Shevchenko, the favorite against Maroshan, and the favorite against Janessi. And today he was a small underdog against Trikar. I mean, he was never like a huge favorite other than maybe, like he was a pretty sizable one against Janessi and Shevchenko, I would say. Very tight with Maroshan and like tight, but the other way against Trikar today. Interesting, yeah. Because I would consider him like side outsiders against Trikar and then... Marozhan, yeah, Shevchenko, you're right. Like that, yeah, that, on hardcore, on hardcore, definitely. That, yeah, that was big. Uh, so sort of like looking backwards, maybe tainted that a little bit for me. Um, but yeah, on uh, on this round, he beat Yaroslav Demin six four six seven six one to start. Then took out Ugo Karabey and Barrios Vera both in straight sets. Uh, won the battle against Lukash Klein in the semis seven six love six six three. He moves up eight spots to number one hundred and twenty two. What did you think of Offnet this week? Um, yeah, he stopped Paris Vera's twelve match win streak, which was pretty fun. Um, and yeah, he he should be in top one hundred contention. If he won like two finals out of these four, he would have been super close already, right? Um, why he isn't? I mean, yeah, against Shevchenko, he just played a pretty poor match, I think. Maroshan outplayed him, sure. But of course, Janessi, he could have beaten. He was so close. And today he had 6-2 in the opening set tiebreak against Striker. Um, maybe just one point, really, out of these five set points that he that he wasted, that he could have won. But like it was pretty brutal. He was in control of the point and just didn't really, you know, if, if he just made a few steps forward, finished it off at the net, he didn't and um, lost the set and and then the match sort of ran away from him very quickly. But yeah, of course, I mean, Ofner has, has been making finals at, every month this year, basically. And, uh, you know, he, he has done enough to make us think that maybe he could break the top 100 this year. And he's also like less than, than down 100 points away. Uh, not as close as Striker, but um, like they were very close in the live rankings before the final. Um, and of course, Stryker only separated himself really by by beating him today. Yeah, let's move on to our semifinalists, starting with Filip Krajinovic. Uh, he beat Jan Koinski in, in three sets to start. Uh, also had to battle uh, Federico Gallo in three sets, 6-4 in the third. Beat Kepfer rather easily, 6-1, 6-2, and then obviously made it tough for Stryker in the semis. What did you make of this week for Krajinovic? Yeah, I guess speaking of players who like got the much practice they wanted, um, he didn't go to Exxon Provence or Cagliari. He went to Prague, which I think worked out pretty well for him. Of course, could have been even better if he if he actually beat Stryker, which um, in the first set that he lost, he, he was very close, I think. And then uh, maybe even... Uh, no, he saved the match point in the second, I think, and then lost. Uh, but yeah, got got three matches in, which is really important for him with the sort of year that he's had. Of course, not a guy we are watching on the Challenger Tour very often, but if he doesn't improve, soon enough we might. Uh, he played Phoenix in March, but before that, then he hadn't played the Challenger in like five years. So um, yeah, it, with, the, with the results that he's been getting recently, it's actually plausible that we're going to see him on the Challenger Tour more. Yeah, and I think like the fact that he he struggled uh, against Koinski and Gaio in his early matches as matches I think suggests that had he gone to the one seventy fives he might have been an early, uh, yeah early exit there. Agreed. So I think this was a good choice for him and, and eventually played himself into into a pretty interesting match against Striker uh, in the semis. Our other semifinals was Lukash Klein finally uh, mm-hmm. putting some points on the board in that big big gap. 
that, that he has had where he didn't have to really defend anything, but hasn't really managed to generate almost any points during this period until this week. He took revenge on Matevalkpus in the first round after losing to him in a very, very tight match uh, in split in a third set tiebreaker. He beats him here 6-1 in the third, then takes out Agamemnon in straight sets. Uh, then Kolaj also in straight sets. Kolaj, who is on fire, I mean, came off of beating Mahac and off of a title. Uh, and yeah, played a very close match against Sebastian Ofner. Moves back to his uh, career high that he had before, I think like 136 or something. So... Hopefully he can take this, make make a push for the rest of the play season, and and we'll see where he where he comes out. But yeah, definitely a good sign for for Lukas Klein. What did you think? Yeah, he hasn't done anything with the opening that he's had. Um, it's very likely that it's gone already. I mean, Troisdorf is going to be Hausdorf. Sorry, um, <laughs> it's going to be very it's going to be very soon, of course. So. Um, it's possible that it's too late already in, in, for the top 100, but of course, you know, he just uh, with, with, the, with the results that he's been getting over the past um, four months or so, he wouldn't be like fighting for the top 100. He would be fighting to survive in the Grand Slam Qualies range or something. So it's still huge for him, of course. And uh, yeah, as he said, um, a couple of very good wins finally, and beat Valkus, whom he lost to in a in a tight match in uh, in split a month ago. Um, so yeah, just just a question of whether he's going to be able to build on this. And of course, there's another chance in Prague in um, yeah, just starting just next week. Yeah, also wanted to quickly mention Strachina reaching the quarterfinals, beating Juanmanuel Serundolo 6-3, 6-1, and Andrew Paulson. Any thoughts on, on Strachina this week? Don't think I've really seen anything from him. Uh, as I said, uh, well, Prague was also very uh, in very similar spots yeah. as Aix-en-Provence and Cagliari, so... Um, so not much there. I, I tried to I tried asking um, a friend of mine who was there, um, like what happened in the Serundolo match, but he apparently came on like, I don't know, two games before it ended or something. So he also wasn't really able to give me much info. And in the doubles, Noza and Paulson lifted the title in the final, beating uh, challenger debutants Yiji Barnat and Jan Harazdil. Uh, Barnat is 21. Uh, he's been quite good on, on ITF doubles, already has three titles this season. Uh, Hrazil is 18, top 50 in the juniors, a lefty. They got some, some pretty nice wins. I think they beat like Barrios Vera and Pedro Martinez and also some, uh, more doubles guys that they, that they had in their way. Yeah, and Krasnil also scored a monumental upset against Sweeney in the qualifying. Yeah. So I'm definitely excited to check him out when I when I will be able to. Margaro Lieferbeek, Manafov, Martins Gornes, and Barrios Vera Martinez was, was their run uh, into the final. Really <laughs> surprising, obviously, out of nowhere. First challenger doubles ever for, for either player. Let's go to Kukimbo, our challenger 50 this week. Mateus Pucinali de Almeida won that one in a brilliant final over... Reis da Silva, 7-6, His first challenger title on this run, he beat Gonzalo Lama, Comesaña, Facundo Juarez, and then Sebosh Wild in a huge semifinal, 7-6, Up 47 spots, number 246 in the rankings. What did you make of Pucinelli de Almeida here? Yeah, the final was indeed great. Um, super fun contra contrast of styles. Uh, you would think that maybe Puccinelli de Almeida won the title with the semi against Sabre Field, which of course was the big story. But actually, Reis da Silva played them so close, um, especially with the sort of... Um, 
well, how Puccini Lidl made us a season so far had gone and like some small physical issues as well, taking him out of for two months. Uh, the only wins being against Pedro Rodriguez and Rigalete, right? Like the, it, it was just pretty terrible with two six for the year only. Of course, in 2022, he had a challenger final in uh, Braga already, I think. Uh, but but yeah, finally he kick-started his season and um, yeah, the win over Sabovic was so important, but also the final had him really have to go dig deep. Almost, uh, it was almost 5-5 in the, in the final set from 5-1 up. Uh, so definitely wasn't easy to clinch his first challenger title, but eventually he did. And um, yeah, a healthy Puccini Nidal Maida should be in these uh, Grand Slam qualifying ranges. And he's very close now, like a couple more runs and maybe he's going to be able to make Wimbledon. Of course, it's too late for Ron Garros. Mm. Yeah, for Reista Silva, it was a second challenger final after Ambato last year. On this run, he beat Ribeiro 6-2, 6-3. Same score against Boscatin Diaz. Dropped the set to Nick Hart, but won 6-1 in the third beat Buruchaga in straight sets in the semis. But yeah, lost this tight, tight final to, to Puccini de Almeida. Up 23 spots, number 259, his new career high ranking. What did you make of Reza Silva and sort of his prospects going forward off of this? Yeah, this was really fun. Um, a surprise finalist, of course, at Ambato, as you mentioned, which was at altitude. He never really followed it up. And I thought that maybe he's just going to be good on altitude. You know, he has the serve and the forehand that would kind of make it possible. He didn't produce on altitude either. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the guy is like a hidden gem to me. You know, the, the way he's the way he can really blast this forehand is just uh, so fun to watch and also just um, very clean technically. Uh, I wonder if he's going to be able to build up on this because, um, yeah, the talent is really there. Um, and similarly to, I guess, Ribeiro, who he played in the opening round. Uh, when you're watching these guys, it's actually kind of surprising. Like, how have um, you know? How is it possible that they've never had better results? And um, yeah, I'm glad that he that he got another challenger run and also not in uh, very unique conditions this time. Yeah, let's talk. Let's talk about our semifinalists that we had starting with Boruchaga, who beat Leite, Murkel Delian, and Rodriguez Taverna all in straight sets before losing to Rich da Silva. What did you make of him this week? Yeah, also needed this right after after a very poor start to the year. Um, I'm I'm, I'm still kind of like um, in two minds. I think on Puruchaga whether he can actually uh, be an interesting prospect or not. He he does have like a a very typical South American game, I guess you would say, which isn't really a compliment. Like it, it is a compliment in terms of um, you know maybe succeeding at this level, but like who knows going forward. But Still, um, definitely huge for him to beat Rodriguez Taverna, Delian. Uh, and uh, he was kind of outplayed by Reis da Silva in the semis. I did not expect that. I thought that maybe Puruchaga was was the favorite there, but uh, he was pretty comfortably beaten in the semis. Yeah, and the biggest, the the, the bigger profile semifinalist uh, was yeah. Steve Boschfield, coming off of that Buenos Aires title, beating Dutra da Silva 6-1-6-2, Barena 6-2-6, love Mateus Alves. 6162. He was absolutely rampaging through this uh challenger 50 draw until he ran into Puccinelli Almeida. Eight win streak. He will return to, to the top 200, of course, primarily because of the Buenos Aires title. But what did you make of Seiboshville this week? 
Um, yeah, um, when he won these first three matches in such great style, right? I was um, pretty much thinking, okay, I mean, this has to be a point for us because both of us picked Sabovic to win the title. And yeah, he lost to Puccinelli de Almeida, which was a bit of a shocker, uh, but still like nothing that really says um, or like screams, you know, he's not as good as, as you think he is. No, definitely not. I mean... Um, still an incredible uh, patch for Sablefield, and it looks like it might actually continue. So, uh, honestly, when the Ron Garros qualifying draw comes out, I think the first player that I'm going to look for there is going to be Thiago Sablefield, um, who he draws and like whether he has a chance to make it out. And I think he has an excellent chance. Of course, he's currently sixth on the alternate list, but I figure with the wild cards and the withdrawals, he should probably make it in. So, um, yeah, very excited to see what he does there. Yeah, and over in the doubles, we had Aboyan and Murkel Delian win the title 7-6-6 over Fariat and Juarez. Match of the week, upset of the week, where would you like to start? Um, I've got my match of the week chosen, so let's start there. Um, in terms of match of the week, I think there are two very serious candidates. One of them is Daniel Umber, um, four hours, 13 minutes. I mean, speaks for itself. As I said, the quality was, for the most part, pretty poor, I would say, but still. And the other one is the Coquimbo final. And this is actually my pick. Um, in the poll that I put out, um, I saw that the overwhelming lead is for Umber Daniel. Of course, that's the more high profile match. Um, there's uh, um, you know more people, I, I'm assuming, watched it than the Coquimbo final. More people had heard of it. Uh, but I think for um, yeah for an all-Brazilian 250 final between players who I think were ranked 282 and 293, it was actually an insanely good match and uh, certainly one of the like the, the match that excited me most this week. So that's my pick. Reza Silva, Cucinelli de Almeida, of course. I I will go with the other Umber Daniel. Okay. Uh, I mean, I feel like if you have a four-hour match on the Challenger Tour between you know like. Yeah, quote quality was varying as 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 I think most people would expect during during a match of this length. I mean, if these <laughs> guys are playing high level tennis for four hours, then they shouldn't be at a, at a challenger in the first place, arguably. Well, um, at this challenger, <laughs> they could be, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, this this one maybe, but I mean, if if you're playing consistently good tennis for for four hours, yeah, I mean, I, I, it, it's just so unlikely that that both players would would sort of be on that same high level. Mm -hmm. So. I feel like with with long matches, you you sort of sacrifice a little bit of the quality for for the length of the match and the drama and everything that comes with it. So Umber over Daniel for me. Upset of the week. Who are you thinking of? Um, the bookies I see have the highest score for Bellucci over Schwarzman. Uh, I kind of agree with you know with how Matias' form was like uh, since the Australian mm. Open, but I'm gonna pick Pucinelli de Almeida. Yeah, you did. You did. <laughs> I'm actually going to pick Pochinelli de Almeida over, um, over Sabrefield anyway. Um, that was the one that surprised me more anyway. And regarding what you said about the quality um, on the previous episode that I did by myself, it was exactly that dilemma where uh, I was thinking between Kipson Michelson and Emery Galarno, and I cho mm -hmm. actually chose history. I, I decided to go to go with the drama there, uh, even <laughs> though Kipson Michelson was the better match. But here I'm actually going um, the other way around. But yeah, upset of the week for me, Puccinelli de Almeida Sabofield. Yeah, there, there aren't that many obvious upsets yeah. out of that. I'm thinking. Yeah, I, I'll I'll go I'll go with with the same. I, I was thinking of Andy Murray beating Tommy Paul in in the final, maybe arguably, possibly. But no, I I th I think Pochnidami beating Sebastian was probably a bigger shock with 
I was thinking of Rodionov over Echeverry as well, but like, uh, it's not Echeverry. By the way, uh, he he is he uh, he hasn't played the played the match yet, obviously, but he is signed up for the Slovak Extraliga that's happening uh, <laughs> these these two weeks. So if, okay. if if his team makes it to the you know semis or whatever, they he, he might he might show up uh, for them. And it's not even like a big team. Like I don't know how they got him at all, but. <laughs> Yeah, there, there he is, Thomas Martinecevic on the on the players list uh, for Slovak Extraliga. So we started previews with the 125 of this week that is in Busan. We have Max Purcell once again, top seed playing a qualifier, and then Su or another qualifier. We have Rinki Hijikata playing Omar Jasika in the first round match. Winner facing Hyun Chung or a qualifier. So Hyun Chung will open against the qualifier whoever comes out there. Jordan Thompson, third seed playing Daniel Masur, then Evgeny Tonsko or Yuta Shimitsu. In his section, we also have Gabriel Tialo playing Ji Sung Nam and the new Seong Chang playing Tung Lin Wu. Kai Chiuchita plays out of Chilik Bilek and then Bu Yun Chaukete or Lee Tu. Emilio Gomez plays Brandon Holt and then Berankis or a qualifier. Christopher Eubanks, big first round match, plays Mark Polmans, winner faces Siang Chun Hong or a qualifier. Alexander Vukic plays Lloyd Harris, winner for Shoshima Bukuro, or a qualifier. Yeah, uh, it, it is it is quite fun to have these to have these sort of swings, and and we we see these players interact and you know match up a couple of times. Yeah, see, see what comes out uh, in the qualifying. Who we have so far? We have Uchiyama who qualify. Uh, Ruben Stadium is here. Tatsuma Ito won his first round match against Mokuta Sikumar, uh, so he could make it in if he beats Yuki Mochizuki. Moria, uh, but yeah, no, no, nobody that we think is going to win the title. In the doubles, Andrew Harris and JP Smith are the top seeds, playing Arjun Kade and Jisun Nam. Purcell plays with Statham. Savile plays with Uchiyama. We have Hijikata and Litu teaming up, playing Matsui and Wesugi. Uh, King and Stolder, the champions from last week, playing Yoon Seong Chung and Mark Pomans. But going back to the singles, who do you like for the title in Busan? Yeah, I guess I'm kind of lost. Um, fun story. I don't know if it's fun, but um, I do this weekly like recap um, article um, about the Challenger Tour for Last Run Tennis. And there's like a first out matches to watch section in there. And I think for the first time ever, I put in a match with a qualifier there, even though I don't know who that qualifier will be. And it's Yeon Chuk playing a qualifier because, yeah, I think he deserves it. Like, whoever he plays, it's going to be a match to watch, right? Um, I also uh, have a lot of fun when I... Because usually when I when we are doing these draws, I just pull them up on Wikipedia. That's, like, the, the, the easiest for me. And um, the, I, anytime I see 2022 champion, Kamil Maikshak, I, <laughs> I just cannot stop laughing because, of course, his doping case is still going. And, like, um, it just feels so surreal, surreal, you know, that he won this event in October. Um, such a good season as well, um, like, for him, um, you know, ending in the top 100 and then um, a drug test, which actually was also during the, this, this, event, this very event, I think. Yeah, Vukic and Harris playing for the second time. I mean, Lloyd Harris might be the most unlucky player in this uh, in the South Korean swing. You know, he played Horrible Vukic. Draws for Vukic, him, yeah. Banks of Vukic. I mean, it, it's just awful. Um, but in terms of who I want to pick, I have absolutely no clue. Um, Purcell, uh, we know he has the lungs, but did he really convince me this week? I don't know. And he could play Su in the second round. That's not super easy. Maybe Yeonchung can actually get on a bit of a run. 
Um, it's possible. Thompson, do I want to pick him to go back to back? Not necessarily. Uh, then there's also Vukic Harris. I don't want to go into that. Uh, Eubanks Polmans is a very tough opening ground, but I'm just thinking of going Eubanks, you know. Um, he won, um, he made the he made the quarters, he made the semis. Um, I think he could easily win this event, of course, but the draw is pretty tough. Polmans, then Hong, yeah, and then Vukic or Harris. That's actually maybe a bit too tough for me. So um, to sum up, <laughs> how has Gabriel Diallo been doing this uh, South Korean swing, actually? Um, he lost to Hijikata and he lost to Eubanks. Um, you know, no, and he's playing Chung or Wu in the second round. These events are really tough. Uh, I, I'm really not sure what to do. Let's maybe just go Max Purcell, you know? Uh, he, we know he has the lungs, right? He is uh, insane when it comes to physical conditioning. So uh, why not? This this is quite funny because we we are going to swap picks from, from okay. last week because I am going to back Jordan Thompson to to go back to back. Uh, I, I, I you know it's it's a one twenty five that's pretty high quality. I I think everybody has a tough draw that that, that we would consider a, yeah. a contender. Um, I feel like some of the players that he has in his section he has already beaten. I will trust him to to beat them again. He played one three-set match last week, which makes me feel like he, he should be relatively uh, fresh going into this, not not getting involved, not getting dragged down into into any long battles. So that that that's why I think I I feel relatively confident backing Thompson to go back to back more than I would uh, the the average case that we get. Yeah, we swap we swap picks, but uh, they're not going to meet in the final this time, right? No, no. Semi, semi at the, yeah. If if they're going to meet, right? Let's do Mauthausen, the one hundred, where Dominic Team is the top seed playing a qualifier, and then Federico Delbonis or Manuel Guinard. Also in the section, Landro Riedi plays Adrian Andreev, and then Dino Prismic or Milian Jekic. We have Harris Brauer playing Alexander Richard, and then Hamad Medvedevich or a qualifier. Denis Novak plays Adol Mayo. Uh, winner then facing Alexander Lazarov or Sandro Kopp. Filip Misolic plays Giovanni Empeci Pericard. Then one of two qualifiers, Facundo Bagnis plays Maximilian Neuchrist. And then Gerald Nasser or James McCabe. Final section, Ugo Gaston as the second seed plays Jeffrey Blancano and then Dane Sweeney or Lukas Neumayer. Sebastian Ofner uh, in here again plays Louis Vessels and then one of two qualifiers. Uh, in the qualifying of Mauthausen, we have, uh, yeah, quite, you know, the, the doubles guys that I wasn't expecting to see, but but we also have Hassan, we have Subi Nagal, who, who won a title recently. Uh, Mariusz Kopil could be interesting on this sort of faster clay. Marcinko won his first round match, but I assume he will lose to Gerh, probably. Um, over in the doubles, we have Arnaldo and Weisborn playing Niklas Salminen and Spat Stevens, which is a pretty big match to start with. Galloway and Reyes Varela play, play the Sabanov brothers. McCabe and Ofner team up together. That's a, a random uh, team that, that I think is quite fun. Uh, Chachi and Ndaviesov are the second seeds here. Strong, strong doubles field. Going back to the singles, though, who are you picking for the title in Mauthausen? Yeah. Yeah, some exciting comebacks this week. Uh, Riedi is back for the first time since uh, Phoenix qualies when he retired. Denis Novak is back for the first time since uh, retiring in the Vilnius uh, 
quarterfinal yeah quarterfinal when he twisted his ankle or or something like that like that um yeah uh it's kind of hard i mean there are a couple of guys i really want to pick like for example offner very good draw i think um the question is whether he will have enough in the tank but i think the conditions in mauthausen could be really good for him uh Bagnis, i was thinking of but noikist in the opening round on quicker clay no way i'm gonna do it misolage i i like but then petri pericard is pretty tough right like but misolage theoretically should be doing well in this event too um can i like do a hero call majedovic is what i'm thinking about uh, i think he should have like more clay runs this year um than just you know Sakesh uh, i think he will but uh, he he did fine in Exxon Provence. He took a set of Echeverry. Um, is this possible? It is. Now the question is whether I'm ballsy enough. And I think I'm leading by like three points now, right? So I, I think I can do one. it. Two or, points? Or, 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 did I, or did I miss one? Um, I, I, I haven't updated the spreadsheet. So I oh, know. I think I was I was up by one and then I got one point last week and one point this week. Oh, you got a point last week too, right? Yeah, I got a point last, last week on, um, on whom? On Sablefield. Um, and now I got one on Thompson. So yeah, I'm up by three in the predictions competition. So I have some, you know, some a bit of a cash team. It's, it's possible. I think you might pick team, and I think team is a pretty sensible option even in this draw. I am going to go with Majedovic. Well, let's let's go. Um, Ofner is is like my other selection, but um, yeah, just going for back to back finals. I don't know, but he has a really nice draw. But I'm gonna go with Majedovic. Let's go crazy. Yeah, so I I was thinking about going with with Medvedevic until you started speaking about it. I, I was <laughs> like, you know, the, this this section, Brauer is the seed. Novak is coming off an injury. Mayo is coming off of this big run, but but who knows? It, a pretty easy section it seems for him to, yeah. to reach the semifinals. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not going to match with you on Medvedevic uh, in in this draw. I'm I am going to go with Dominic Team, uh, who I think also has a really solid chance of of winning this title. Yeah, if, if you're going to match with me, you know, three points behind, it has to be like something really Yeah, really like it, palpable, it, it, right? it, 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 it has to be an absolutely guaranteed, not, well, not guaranteed, but like somebody that we, that we just see completely winning the event. So yeah, Medvedevich yeah, is like a bit of a, Medvedevich is a bit of a fancy pick. Yeah. Yeah, let's go to Franca Villa Almare, where we had the top seed withdraw. Do you know who, who was Brody. there? Brody, yes. Yeah, I actually saw that. I forgot. So Rafael Collignon comes in as the ninth seed uh, to be the first name in the draw, playing Rodrigo Pacheco Mendes. Will then face Onklan or a qualifier. Kuzmanov plays Sarcina and then Justino or Kukushkin. Benoit Pair plays Giorgio Tabacco, which is, once again, an, an absolutely elite tennis name. Like, I... <laughs> Giorgio Tabacco, like, like imagine that's your name. Like, imagine. Yeah, so he has a brother too, Fausto, and um, they're both like ITF players. The the Tabacco brothers. Yeah, I, I can't wait for them to break through. Uh, well, yeah, if if, if he beats Tabacco, then he could face Genesis. Oh, Fausto is in this draw too, but lower down. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Morano de Alboran plays Aziz Dugas, and then Gianluca Maguer or Gabriele Piraino. Uh, Kimer Kopejans plays Renzo Olivo and then one of two qualifiers. Tabilo plays Ferreira Silva and then Caruso or another qualifier. We have the aforementioned Fausto Tabacco. Is, is the Tabacco family involved with this event? Maybe I, they're I from Franca Villa Almare. I don't Maybe. know. <laughs> so Fausto will play Tiago Agustin Tirante. 
uh, when we'll face Ayupovic or a qualifier. Yonel plays Nicolas Mejia and Daniel Spadeon for a qualifier. In the qualifying, we have some names like Aydukovic, Travalia, Echargui, uh, Philippe Pelivo will play Eduardo Lavagno, uh, Andrea Adnaboldi also in here. Over in the doubles, we have Barrientos and Behar as the top seeds. We have Caruso and Genesi, an interesting old uh, Italian team. Uh, Margaroli plays with Raja. We also have Dalibor Svecina and Adam Taylor, one of these random um, teams. The Tobacco Brothers are not playing together, though. Giorgio is playing with Gabriele Piraino, and then Fausto is not in the doubles draw. Uh, Arends and Petros Titipas also in here. Travalia is playing with Romboli. Interesting. But yeah, uh, going back to the main draw singles, who do you like for the title? Like the draw is pretty weak, right? Like maybe not, it's yeah. not weak. It's it's pretty even. It, it, it doesn't really have any huge contenders. So mm-hmm. I'm even thinking of like Travalia or Idukovic, if they can win. Idukovic, of course, is in amazing form. Only lost to Polmans in uh, in the Challenger and in an ITF to Max Kashnikovsky in like his last 15 matches or something. Travalia was fantastic in, in uh, Cagliari as well. He almost beat Goyo, was 4-2 up uh, in the decider in the opening round. And uh, really, you can see, like, I know his floor maybe hasn't been as, as good as, as it's been in the past, but um, on some days, you can really see the top 100 quality just oozing out of him. Now, can I do it? I don't even know. Um, like, Stina Kuzmanov, that's too tough. I don't think Pacheco Mendes is dangerous to um, Colinho, but I think Onclem is definitely dangerous to Colinho, right? Another match between them in the second round would be spicy. That section of Paris is just so wild, and I'm not going to pick Benoit Per to win a round to title. No, 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 no. I know he's already done it this year, but no, I'm not doing that. Um, so I think, like, my pick here would have to be either De Jong, who's been in amazing form, just lost that final in Rome to Nagal, or Kopeyans. Like, that's that's my sort of picks, I think, in this draw. And I think I'm just going to go with Kopeyans. Um, he had a pretty uh, disastrous loss to Pirosh in Oerash, winning just two games, and also that one in Madrid to Kotov, which he, I think, was serving for the match or something. But still, like, he pushed Kotov in Madrid, right? Um, he has been in good form this year. Maybe not necessarily getting in, getting amazing results, but he has been in good form. And he's playing Olivo, who is really struggling. So, yeah, I'm going to pick Kimer Kopeas, but I could easily go even for a qualifier, honestly, in this draw. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think that we're just sort of shooting into a flock yeah. of pigeons uh, in, in this draw. Kopeas is this whole pick that I also considered. I will, however, try and take advantage of this Benoit pair uh, section that seems quite weak. And I will go with Marco Trunchetti for the title. Um, he, he's he been getting sort of like, like, like he has been getting wins uh, and then losing to, you know, losing to Harry, losing to Koboli, losing to Arnaldi. Did take some bad losses like Perez Conti in, in the Madrid Challenger. That was quite poor. Um, but I feel like he could sort of get through the the half without really having to face anybody of of that sort of caliber, uh, so I think that's that's sort of my argument for why I think Kate could plausibly win this event uh, this coming week. We move to Prague, Prague three, uh, not the same venue as the Prague that we had last week. That was uh, Stolice, oh. which is actually okay. an island uh, in the in the river that sort of connected the new 
go on there. I've, I've actually been there, but it is quite interesting. Yeah, I, I checked it on the map because I was I was thinking of going to to a Prague event like one year, and I remember how it looked on the map. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's 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 like an island in the river, and it yeah. flooded one year during the ITF that, that when they used to have the big ITF where all the Czech players would come in and stuff uh, during the clay season. It flooded uh, completely. It was a nightmare. Uh, and they had to move it to, I think maybe even this venue, Teka Spartak Prague, which is about five kilometers away. Uh, Radu Albot is the top seed here playing Jakub Menshik, uh, which is an exciting matchup for yeah. sure. Winner will face Kasper Zhuk or Mikhail Hertz. Chung Sim Seng plays a qualifier and then Federico Gallo or Nick Hart. Norbert Gombosch is here playing a qualifier and then Shintar Mochizuki or Mikhail Verbensky. Uh, Enzo Kwako plays Zachary Schweida and then Alejandro Morocanas or a qualifier. Dominika Fed plays a qualifier and then Zdeny Kolaj or Evan Furness. Lukasz Klein plays Jaroslav Demin and then one of two qualifiers. Final section, we have an all-Swiss derby, Dominic Sticker playing Andri Laksanen, winner facing Yirji Vesli or Pablo Yamas Ruiz. Damir Jumhur plays Nikos Kiker and then Dan Aded plays Nerman Patic. In the qualifying, we have Martin Dam, uh, who won his first round match against Yepsev. He plays Billy Harris. Sachko plays Moleker. We have Gasto Eliash potentially coming through if he beats Prihotko. Rincon is also here playing Bor Atnak. Andreozzi is playing Ribakov. Could be some interesting names to pepper throughout this uh, draw. In the doubles, we have Golubev and Yevavi as the top seeds. They're actually playing Menchik once again. <laughs> Menchik just has the, the luck of the draw against the top seeds. He's playing alongside Hinek Patton. Uh, Kolaj and Pavlasek have teamed up for this event. Noza and Paulson, of course, are here. Zelenai is playing with Vladislav Manafov. Uh, after Actually, Zelenai played in the Extraliga this week, I think, for his team. Uh, Andreo Duran also in here. But going back to the main draw, who do you like for the title in Prague? Yeah, Manchik played at uh, the top seed in Ostrava, right? But there it actually yeah. ended up well for Hito. him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and here the top seed is also not that threatening. Now, can I pick Jakub Manchik to possibly win this event? Not really, but can I? Uh, do I think that he has a very good chance of blasting through Radu Albot? I mean, absolutely. It's not, it's not impossible. Um, I'm not picking Kasper Zhuk. He actually lost in an ITF last week to Landalusa, which was quite interesting. And uh, Zhuk was on like, on like an insane run of winning seven of his last nine 25Ks, I think, which is actually like insane. <laughs> like, I, I, insane. Yeah, like I'm pretty sure if you put in, I don't know, um, like 90% challenger players in nine 25Ks, he, they wouldn't win seven of them. Uh, mo many of them had good fields too. So it was an insane run that maybe kind of shows you, you know, he should be getting better results, but for this or that reason, he's not he's not doing that. Tseng has been, of course, out of form. I kind of want to pick Gombosh. I think you might too, of course, because you've been, and just, just like I am with Pulse, you've been pretty likely to... to um, to find Slovak picks, even when, when sometimes the maybe... is there, I like to pull the trigger. Exactly, yeah. Maybe when sometimes even the opportunity is like barely there, you <laughs> like to. And the same, I do the same with Zhuk, right? I mean, I can't even say with Poles because I think Zhuk is the only one I've ever really had the chance to pick. Yeah, yeah, you, you've picked Michalski before, I think. I've had one. Maybe, maybe I've had in a Challenger 50 or something, or, or maybe in the, that Oerash when he made the uh, run, maybe when he made the quarters. Maybe I've picked him like once, but, you know, I don't really get the, oh, get yeah, the chance yeah, to yeah, do it. That was a 50. 
um to do it that often i think maybe maybe i don't really get the chance to do it that often but um i think i might have to go with gombosh uh streaker second week in a row i don't know Luxon and Streaker is actually a rematch for Braunschweig last year, which Luxonen won, but you know, with Luxonen's current form, he was actually in pretty awful form back then as well. Uh, <laughs> Vasily, I'm not picking him yet. Uh, not not yet, two and five matches, not really. Jumkur has a nice draw in the opening two rounds, actually. I think he's very likely to go deep. Uh, Klein has, of course, a good draw with Deminor and then a qualifier. Um, I'm going to go with Gombosh. Yeah, he has been revived a bit in, in recent weeks, right? So I think that's what I'm going to that's what I'm going to do here. The first two rounds look pretty cool. I still don't really believe in Mochizuki, like making uh, deep runs in challengers week, on a weekly basis. So um, I don't consider him that much of a threat to, to make me stop for, uh, myself from picking, picking Gombosh. Yeah, Gombosh is a good pick, of course. I, I considered him, uh, but I have decided to go with Lukas Klein instead. I like his chances just a bit better uh, in this draw. Um, particularly, I I mean, I think that they're both likely to to make it out of their sections into the semis. I just feel Klein probably has a slightly better chance, especially since he beat Collage last week, especially since Ketfet has been in poor form. Demin performed quite well in his first round loss. Uh, yeah. So hopefully he he doesn't uh, come up with a with a surprise. Gombosh, I feel like I could sort of see getting boxed down into into some long matches uh, that would not maybe end up well for him with some of the guys in the section. So fine, I just have the the more confidence in at the moment. Let's uh, let's hope for the all Slovak final then. And actually, Absolutely. speaking of Slovakia, there was something that you wanted to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so I, I just wanted to mention, um, so there is this very interesting situation currently in Slovak tennis where the Slovak Tennis Association is in what is essentially an all-out war with its regional tennis association, the Bratislava Tennis Association, mm-hmm. which um, has been very progressive, very different. The Slovak Tennis Association has been basically ruled uh more or less by the same person since its inception since we separated into the Slovak republic he's been in there for a good 30 years uh his priority is to keep himself in power first and foremost uh to the point where he is basically redoing the entire election system to more or less give himself an unlimited term uh that could be passed by like less than a half of of, of the actual council um it is like so, so, so they operate in in two main chambers where they have the executive committee with uh, most of the uh, well, ba- basically the the heads of all the regional uh, associations, the a, a players representative, and then they have a wider council which is made up of members that are, that are like sort of lower. They're, they're sort of like like the backups of the of the people on the executive committee. Um, the executive committee cancelled uh, the first. Uh, Slovak championships we're going to have uh, of men in in 15 years. They, mm-hmm. they, they it used to be a big event uh, that was you know Dominic Rabati made the finals as a 16 year old. That's where he first made his name. There there have been other players over the years who've sort of made their name that way. Uh, that have been you know 18, 19, 20 year olds. They they even got money prize money for the event. They got the players wild cards for the champions into ITF mm-hmm. events. And uh, due to some issues with a tournament that they had last year where they actually fired the person who caused that issue 
the selectionist institutions declared them an unfit partner to host this event and canceled the event altogether. Um, it is really like just surreal to have a body in charge of the sport working actively against the sport. <laughs> it is a very well situation. A lot of player, a lot of like big names of selectionists have spoken out against it. Of, of course, Klijan is a is a vocal opponent. Vladimir Platinik, who is um, one of the, well, I, I think he's, he's the head coach of the Empire Tanaba Club, and he has coached Tsibukuba in the past, Kasatkina in the past. He, he's a very well-known WTA coach. He has also been a massive opponent of all of this, but ultimately it just seems like everybody else is, is powerless. Um, so yeah, me sort of trying to research this and going through it, I also discovered two interesting things. One of them is that the Davis Cup format will be changing. Um, uh -huh, that yeah. has been communicated to the to the uh, associations. They will have a conference or a meeting in in Mexico, and that's where I think they'll officially unveil whatever this new format is. They have not mentioned anything. They've just you know I, they, they 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 they've probably said in the actual meeting, just not had it written down. And uh, Daniel Handukova will be inducted into the Slovak Tennis Hall of Fame at the, at the end of the season, alongside Martina Suha as well. So yeah, those were just two tidbits that I found out as I was trying to go through uh, the meetings minutes and figure out what actually happened <laughs> at these meetings that that resulted this way. But yeah, it's it's really disappointing to to see it moving moving in this direction. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I just thought it was like a I just thought it was, it was like a, more of like an obscure tennis story that some people might be interested in. Yeah. Uh if you stayed until the end, you were rewarded with that. Um <laughs> sometimes in the on this show we also talk about things like this. We've talked about the elections in the Slovak Tennis Federation before. Oh, uh yeah. when I went to the Polish national championships, we just talked about some Polish players, for example, that you know will probably not even smell a challenger event in the next five years. Uh sometimes we just do that because why not? We've talked about Davis Cup before, like uh, the, the matches of uh Slovakia and Poland. So, you know, sometimes we do this. Uh hopefully you got something out of this. This is definitely info that you haven't seen anywhere. At least, uh, you know, we know that. So uh, unless you're following the Slovak uh, tennis news landscape um, as um, deeply, as as thoroughly as Jakub, but 99% um, of you probably are not. Um, but yeah, anyway, I think uh, we're probably going to finish with that. That's already a huge episode. Um, I don't even know how long it will take after I, I add in all the interviews, which are probably like, I don't know, 15 minutes um, um maybe no maybe 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 that's too, no actually it, it could be about 15 minutes i think all of them so um we'll see how long it takes uh, anyway thanks for listening thanks for staying till the end and we're going to be back in a week to discuss busan mauthausen prague number two and um francavilla almare uh, thank you bye